afternoon, evening, uh, whenever you're listening and tuning in. Thank you for tuning into Doth Protest Too Much, a podcast on Protestant historical theology. So uh, today we have we are bringing on uh, Jacob Bauma Sims, a friend of mine I met about a year ago, maybe not even, uh, at the 2021 EFAC USA conference. EFAC stands for Evangelical Fellowship in the Anglican Communion, and of course, USA being the USA chapter of it, or the, the USA group. Um, it is a group of, we'll, we'll get more into it, and Jacob's going to tell us more specifically about this conference, but it's a group of people from both the, Epis well, I shouldn't even say both because it's more than two church bodies, but there's the Episcopal, people from the Episcopal Church, people from uh, the ACNA, which is the Anglican Church of North America, um, as well as uh, several other, uh, po possibly other smaller Anglican bodies. Um, so it's, and it's uh, just for that fact alone that we have people from the Episcopal Church and the ACNA coming together at a conference. It's one of the few places um, where that happens um, and where there's fellowship between the two. And um, so uh, I, it's really a good a testimony to to, I think, um, Christ's commandment for us to be one. So uh, I had a great experience uh, last year, but we're going to turn it over to Jacob. Uh, Jacob, uh, well, first off, how are you doing today? I know you had some issues getting on and such as... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, it's just my, my laptop is uh, kind of old, you know, and I'm not great with technology. I mean, I've gotten better over the years, of course, but yeah. Uh, it's funny in your opening. I thought you were going to. I thought you were stopping yourself because you were about to say both the Episcopal and Anglican churches. And of course, uh, you know, one of the things that gets me always is uh, Episcopalians are Anglicans, and not everyone realizes that. You know, um, uh, but yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm I'm doing fine. You know, I'm, uh, caffeinated had a you know, good day at work, uh, you know, nothing unusual went wrong. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Jesus Christ is King. Yes. I guess at the end of the, no matter how your day goes, Jesus Christ is King. And I, yeah. I wish I'll, I have to confess, I wish that came as, as the relief to me that it ought to. Right. Because <laughs> sometimes days can overwhelm us, but yeah, Jesus is King. Um, so yeah, I, well, and I, speaking of technology, before we get into anything, tell us about, you have a podcast that I yep. there's two episodes for now, and it touches on history. It's a different kind of history podcast than this one. Tell us about it, what it's called. Yeah, um, it's called Mead and Murder. That's mead like the drink, M-E-A-D. Uh, I have a co-host. I came up with, with the name. 
Um, and we have a wonderful production team that is mostly uh, my co-host partner. We met each other in college and we previously tried to do a podcast, didn't really have any direction, didn't go anywhere, didn't upload anything to a podcasting platform. And then a couple years later, you know, my friend who's uh, still at college, uh, I've I'm graduated, um, you know, said, what if we start a medieval and renaissance true crime podcast? Because he had gotten more into history and I was a history major. Um, and so it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm down for it. Um, I actually convinced him to add the renaissance part because I know more about the renaissance than the medieval era. And uh, of course that has some overlap with the reformation, you know, uh, so you'll see Protestantism and, you know, uh, you know uh, these cultural differences brought on by the Reformation play out in some of these stories. Um, but yeah, you're correct. We have two uh, episodes so far. Uh, one is on the murder of uh, Juan Borgia, the Pope's son in the uh, 15th century. And the other is on the um, Michael Garay affair in the 16th century, um, which, you know, uh, we take turns um, writing the episodes and coming up with the ideas for them. Uh, mm. So uh, I came up with the second idea because I had remembered learning about this uh, case in class. Um, it's, it's really just, just so fascinating and a, a look into, um, you know, uh, what, what can happen when someone decides to uh, basically gaslight a whole town to, to uh, uh, use that, that term in the broad colloquial sense. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's a, it's a look into, um, you know, yeah, just that the issues of identity theft and adultery, it's an incredibly dramatic story. And as far as we can tell from documents, in contemporary accounts, it, it all happened, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, and, um, you know, people wonder why I don't, I always say I don't like reading a lot of fiction. That's because nonfiction is twice as more exciting. Especially, Absolutely. Especially when you dig into the past. I mean, I like some fiction, but usually in other mediums, not books. But, you know, um, well, it sounds like a cool, I mean, I remember listening to your first episode. Uh, I still have to get to the second one, which I will. The one you just described um it is an hour long but I, trust me it's worth it well when i next time i have an hour-long car ride which i actually will soon right i'll drive to to an airport next week so yeah um I'll, I'll give it a listen and it you know true crime is has been all the rave for a while but i mean i, I have to say that your podcast I, I feel like that's the first like historical true crime i mean uh, the merging of true crime and history deep history rather than events of several years ago right That's right a, it does it does seem to be yeah just by the the uh you know <clears throat> mathematically probably someone has done that but uh this is the only uh this is the only historical true crime podcast i know of um, right. right now and uh yeah we're we've been having you know we haven't produced as much as we'd like to but we've ha been having a lot of uh a lot of fun with it and it's um people like history 
uh, and people like uh, true crime. So it's so uh, it does it, it does attract a lot of uh, uh, listeners, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. Yeah. And well, we hope we hope it'll attract more, but you know, people who know so far seem to, to be pretty interested. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, just two if just two episodes in, and yeah, the audience it's always a promising sign. So tell us about your um, kind of about your journey, your story. Um, you know, we met at an EPEC conference, and yeah, you know, there, there's a reason why you were there. But what what's the background? for that what you know tell us just tell, tell us about you and and your story up till today. yeah the um so the background uh, for how i got there is a uh is a good place to start um so i had been dialoguing with the president of efac for a while uh, zach neubauer because uh you know we I think we sort of met each other through um, a Facebook group I started called Orthodox Episcopalians on Facebook. And, you know, he's an Episcopal priest. Um, Anglicans of other denominations are welcome in that Facebook group, by the way, as long as you respect the Episcopal Church enough. But anyway, um, yeah, we've been dialoguing for a while and I had been talking to him about discernment. And then it had been a few months since I had uh, sort of messaged him and so he asked if uh, I had been, was going to come to the EFAC conference in Dallas and um, said, well, I hadn't planned on it, uh, you know, uh, and he said, well, would it change your mind if um, I gave you a scholarship? And so I was like, yeah, I, I would be, that would make me more, more interested. And so, yeah, it's helped me pay for some of my, because uh, I live in Alabama. Um, you know, and uh, I have a uh, full-time job, um, you know, that, that did help a lot going to Dallas in the uh, middle of October. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it helped cover some of the travel expenses and um, the uh, uh, hotel stay and the uh, registration for the conference. So I'm very grateful to Zach and EFAC for that. And whoever it was who donated to EFAC for it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I went there. Um, I met a lot of folks. Uh, you know, I learned things about evangelism, which was something, which was the theme of the conference and was something uh, I had been gaining more interest in. Um, you know, so uh, that's sort of how I came to be at, um, at the, the uh, conference in Dallas. So were you, uh, how, were you always Episcopalian or Anglican or what's your... Background? Not at all. Um, I actually grew up in a, an atheist household. Um, I have great parents. But uh, yeah, um, when I was in my late teens, I started getting more interest in the uh, various world religions and in atheist writings from people like uh, Sam Harris, you know, and I, I had a Bible and a Quran and, uh, you know, I got a Buddhist necklace and I started going to, I attended a Buddhist uh, teaching and meditation and session. You know, it's funny at that time, I, I thought if anything, I would, uh, I would be a Buddhist if I, you know, uh, 
decided to join a religion. But uh, you know, my um, my grandfather, uh, who I had always been compared to, um, you know, I have his middle name, Henry Bama. He um, he passed away. Um, he was a Christian Reformed Church pastor, uh, and that had um, that had some kind of impact on me. And so um, I, uh, uh, I, you know, did sort of an odd prayer where I, you know, even though I, I would have claimed to not believe in God at that time, I prayed and I said, Lord, if you, uh, if I pass all of my exams, because I was in community college at that time, um, I will attend a Christmas service. And uh, then I passed all my exams. So then I went to a Christmas service at a uh, very progressive UCC church. Um, and uh, so then I decided to start regularly attending that church and start calling myself a Christian. Uh, not a whole lot had really changed. I had just decided somewhat arbitrarily to assent to what I thought was basic Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, so then uh, when I went off to four-year college, um, I knew I wanted to stick with, uh, you know, mainline churches. Uh, I had been baptized right before I went off to college at the, at the UCC church. Um, you know, uh, after that, um, I, I had it sort of, um, I think I had gained more of an interest in consistent church attendance, maybe uh, digging a little deeper, you know, because I knew it, um, you know, uh, I knew it meant something. You know, my aunt said at the time, uh, you know, one of my aunts is a very good mentor of mine. She's also a, a minister in the Christian Reformed Church, you know, said I she's on a phone call with me at the time and um uh she asked me what the baptism meant to me and you know she said um you know your answer indicated you weren't really someone who, who knew jesus and i don't take it to this day i don't take offense to that because i remember sort of what my answer was and it was some mix of you know sort of uh i don't know maybe vague utilitarian philosophy mixed with um, Eastern religion, you know, vaguely about uh, interconnectedness, mm -hmm. and then probably I threw something in about Jesus. So um, vague, vague spiritual, lovey-dovey stuff with some, with some vague allusion to Jesus. Yeah, exactly. So they, they, um, they call that. <laughs> I've heard some commentators refer to that as moral therapeutic de deism. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, sounds about right. Um, but, you know, um, another thing happened right before I went off to uh, four-year university, which is, you know, and I don't think she'll mind me retelling this here. Uh, so I broke up with my, you know, uh, uh, you know my first girlfriend. Mm -hmm. um, um, then within a, a couple of weeks of being at... Uh, four-year college, um, you know, uh, I wanted to get back with her. 
And one of the concerns was we were in very different places. She had a, you know, she had a lifelong faith from childhood uh, that was, um, you know, more traditional and was, uh, you know, uh, in many ways more consistent than mine. Um, so one of the concerns was, yes, we're very different. And so, um, you know, I went to a friend you know, who I knew was a more uh, conservative Christian as, you know, who I mostly been talking to about politics up to that point, you know, and it's basically like, look, I don't, you know, I don't know what I believe, but um, I know I want to be with her. So I need to understand what you believe. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so at that point, um, you know, uh, I remember being at a Mexican restaurant and uh you know he asked me so was Jesus created and I said yes Jesus was created and so anyone who uh you know you Andrew being a priest you probably immediately know the problem with that answer mm -hmm. and he did too um he was a uh he was a bible college graduate who was uh quite intellectual and big on the creeds and so, um, you know, we know Jesus was not created. Jesus was, um, you know, basically Jesus telling me about how Jesus was uh, uh, co-eternal with the Father. Um, you know, and so uh, at the same time, I was having these kinds of conversations. I was getting more involved with uh, these Christian groups on campus. Honestly, because I was lonely, like I, I had initially chosen this college, um, this liberal arts college, because I thought I was going to run cross country there. When I got there, I thought, you know, I figured I wouldn't really have that much time for it. Um, I was disconnected from a lot of things that had been going on in the main city of Birmingham, which was closer to my parents' home in my community college. Um, you know, uh, so I, there wasn't just for me to do. And so I started going to uh, church consistently at this little uh, Episcopal church that was built in 1860. Um, and, you know, as I think I've indicated before, um, I chose, I was looking for a mainline church, mm -hmm. sort of, um, you know, sort <laughs> of, quite funny given the conversation we're having today about having gone to an evangelical conference you know i thought anything that had the word evangelical attached to it was uh was gross and right. uh you know mean <laughs> basically i would have put it in more intellectual or specific terms but you get the picture right. so but this uh episcopal church you know um i heard the uh uh the sermons were quite different um uh they were more focused on jesus and um in a let's say less politicized way you know as in at the uh at the the you know church i had previously been at um you know god god bless them you know still on good terms with folks there including a pastor uh they were 
much more of a liberation theology church. Mm -hmm. And um, they're not, I'd say the sermons didn't really prioritize the essentials you would find in the creed. And of course, you know, um, they, we didn't recite the creed at that church, but here I was at this Episcopal church. And previously I had thought I, I didn't like liturgy. You know, I'd still be gone to it physical church in my you know hometown and I was like yeah I don't like this too rich ritualistic but going there Sunday after Sunday I learned that I liked it um you know we recited the creed and I think a, a big thing for me too was also um you know the uh confession and uh uh pronunciation of uh forgiveness like I was getting down on my knees every Sunday thinking about sin um, and so, yeah, that did help change me. And so um, uh, I eventually decided to become a member of that church. Well, I was confirmed uh, in the Episcopal Church in 2019. Um, I graduated from college uh, during the beginning of the pandemic in uh, 2020. Um, and, uh, you know, I suppose you don't need to know the whole history, but the, uh, the, uh, young woman who I had broken up with previously, uh, we're now engaged. Well, good. Congratulations. Thanks. Uh, yeah, uh, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't pry, but, uh, when's the, well, no, when's the big November, date? I can edit it out. November okay. 12th. Oh, uh, we can, coming up. I think we can only invite so many people and, yeah um, i'm not asking for i don't you know right, don't right. i'll, I'm, I'll yeah. be with it i'll be with you there in spirit right but yeah it's coming uh, up oh, mm -hmm. be ready for that <laughs> yeah it is it is weird man um it is no i, I love it i'm excited but you know oh yeah i i don't know if i ever thought i'd be here at 25 but i should say uh after i got engaged i went on to uh do a service year with the Episcopal Service Corps in uh, New Haven, um, you know, a uh, historically uh, Anglo-Catholic church called um, Christ Church is what it's based out of. Pro programs called uh, St. Hilda's House. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, they're having some um, problems that they do not care to specify for the public too much, and so they're putting the uh, they're putting that program on hold, but it was, it was great. Um, I got to live with uh, five other people in the house and we went through one of our spiritual journeys together. Um, I saw a few of them get confirmed either in the Episcopal church or in the uh, Evangelical Lutheran church. Um, and uh, we got along well, we had to, you know, cook for each other. Uh, we earned, interned with uh, different organizations uh, in the city. That's part of the program. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, not enough people know about uh, the Episcopal Service Corps in general. So I would like to give that a shout out. You know, if you're looking for organizations to support or you're looking for, or, or if you have, you know, a young person who's looking for something to do uh, after college or just after, after having a, um, a job that they're not really satisfied with right now, just uh, look into the Episcopal Service Corps, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, um, well, thank you. I mean, you, 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 it, it gave me, you gave us a really 
good, um, just a really good overview uh, there with, um, and, and that's, it, your story is very unique. I mean, I, I know um, a lot of people, once they get to a certain age in their um, unbelief or irreligiosity, they sort of stay there, you know, they stay there for life. They might have some spiritual inclinations that they explore a little bit here and there in maybe some of the more serious parts of their life, but it's, um, it's, yeah, you're, you're, a, you're <laughs> I don't want to say you're a success story. It's kind of cheesy to say, but right. it seems like you, um, you, you listen to that, to the voice of God and um, that God found you at a moment. And, um, and you went, so I, I know you talked a little bit about the UCC church um, and kind of the, the, uh, I don't know, the, the sh perhaps the shallowness you, you saw with, with some of the messaging of that church. and Right. Well, um, I mean, to be completely fair, I wouldn't say it's shallowness. It's just, um, uh, it's, it's very much, um, it was not satisfying to me. And, you know, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, if I were to, uh, pay anyone to examine my own, uh, you know, uh, uh, psyche, it, it certainly wouldn't be myself because I don't think I'm very objective, but, uh, you know, um, I, I think I sort of realized that I had, um, I had picked what was most convenient to me as far as, um, beliefs go, mm -hmm. you know, I wanted something that would be, uh, I wanted a, a type of Christianity that was not offensive to what I had always believed, mm -hmm. you know? And so that, that meant, um, picking a, a place where, uh, uh, I, you know, uh, I knew how, um, uh, I knew where they stood on all these things, uh, because I had previously been to, um, uh, uh, organizing meetings there, you know, and, um, it was, uh, it's very much about, uh, uh, very much focused on ethics over soteriology. I definitely think that's fair to say is in, they're more concerned with, um, how God would have us behave than, uh, whether or not, um, we are in right standing with God sure. as far as the, uh, the afterlife or the resurrection or any, you know, the physical resurrection or anything like that. And, you know, that, uh, to the extent that it gives people peace, that's partly because, um, they don't really believe, they don't really necessarily believe that there is a hell or that there's any kind of, uh, wrath on, um, uh, that's particular to those who have uh, no belief, if that if that makes sense. It's more they're more inclined to um, universalism. Yeah. But, well, and and it's interesting because because the I think the broader you and I very very well know that type of um, that type of you know uh, Christian that that brand of Christianity you were you're talking about, but I think a lot of the general public perception. Uh, they they know of like um, I, I heard when you mentioned like it's more about your behavior. I think a lot of the public knows about like 
Christianity of the more right-wing kind that that make it about your behavior, that that type of moralistic version of Christianity on the right, which is, you know, don't don't do this, don't do that, or else you're going to hell. But there's also, there's also an equally there's another type of moralistic Christianity on the left that says, well, there is no hell, and all that our teaching about is about is um, just being good and loving like Jesus was. Um, I think both kinds ultimately fail us in the end because we we are not perfect and um we cannot measure up to that type of expectation and so in the emphasis on jesus being our savior is taken away um we're left to despair and hopelessness when we realize that we're not able to be to live up to those to the ideal of of that um so it's um, right Right. So, it, yeah. so it's like the on it, and that the left side of it, you know, the part that I experienced, they say, you know, Jesus' mission was to uh, challenge empire. Well, then what are, what are you supposed to do with that challenge yeah. empire? It's like when you when you get into, um, you know, a conservative or more, you know, um, traditional mainline Christianity. Uh, no one literally expects you to uh, be crucified, you know, uh, uh, unless that's uh, necessary. And you can, you can, you know, you can do what you will with the word literally there. But, you know, it's like the message of the crucifixion is it's finished. Right. You know. Yeah. That's uh, the message of the message of, you know, at least some liberation theology Jesus I experienced is keep striving, keep striving, keep going at it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they'll, the, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, we won't dwell on that too much, but I, um, I'm glad you saw the light, bro. Uh, (laughs) but, um, so yeah, anyways, going back to your story, you, I, so, and well, this kind of connects to what we were just talking about. You, you, uh, so you said you started the social media group. I've seen it. I'm not a member, but I've seen it called orthodox episcopalians kind of explain for our listeners because orthodox can have a couple different meanings uh it can with a capital o it can refer to like you know the eastern orthodox church of course we're not referring to that but what what do you mean uh so this is a group for orthodox episcopalians and what do you mean by that i mean because that's connected yeah so i think it would be helpful to sort of explain the um the uh, origin of it and you know sometimes i i laugh a little to myself because it's almost it's it's almost like uh, uh, the origin of a denominational split. Like you'd have uh, you have the Presbyterian Church USA, and then suddenly you have the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. You know, well, but PC, it, yeah. it's very much it's very similar to that because there is a very large um, Facebook group <laughs> called the uh, Episcopalians on Facebook, and to just uh, throw some more people under the bus. Um, again, God bless them. Uh, a lot of folks in there um, are a lot of times they're reacting against a um, some sort of uh, trauma or some sort of dis- dissatisfaction that they saw in the uh, conservative church, uh, the fundamentalist or the uh, conservative Roman Catholic church. And so they've gone way to the other end of um, 
you know, uh, John Shelby Spong and the like and saying, well, the creeds are optional. And then, you know, a lot of us, um, you know, uh, uh, who are somewhat disproportionately younger um, and were of, um, were of various views on sort of different, what you might call social issues, you know, for instance, you know, like women's ordination and stuff. Um, we, we were sort of looking at the rest of them and saying, well, why are you here? Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think the real problem with the group, you know, I'm, I'm sure it was well-intentioned, uh, whoever started it is, it's just that so many people and there aren't that many standards. Mm. So it, it's, we, we sort of, uh, we sort of frankly got annoyed with having to, um, you know, talk to, uh, having to argue with people about whether, you know, the creeds are optional or yeah. Jesus is divine or, um, you know, Mary gave birth while a virgin or, you know, uh, uh, whether, you know, the Bible um, is the word of God, you know, um, well, we thought that the church itself was sort of going on the wrong tracks in many ways. And so, and now we're having a debate about, uh, you know, whether people should uh, be baptized, well, whether people should be allowed to take communion without having been baptized. That's another argument we were tired of having. So um, I was the one who decided to hit the button on creating this group. And then I invited a couple of other people to <clears throat> join me as admins. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we're a, we're a fairly inclusive uh, Facebook group. Okay. Uh, you just have to, uh, you just have to um, agree that uh, at least at this time, um, communion should not be offered to those uh, who are not baptized and you have to affirm the uh, Nicene and Apostles creeds. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there's some, ascent, there are just some essentials that you really just can't get rid of or else the entire, you know, then the definition of Christianity can, can pretty much be anything if you, if you get rid of the certain essentials. So we're going to kind of shift now to talk, talking about that conference. Um, I did not attend the last one. I was uh, working a youth trip um, and this year it was in Nashville and uh which i was i wanted to see nashville too like i was kind of like when i saw i was in nashville last year i was like oh i kind of want i want to go to that because uh, i loved the first one so much and i just felt really uplifted from the conference that i was at the one we met at in 2021 and uh because and i remember you know I, I did a whole episode for our listeners of just me it was just me on this episode uh, kind of giving my reflections on the 2021 conference and um it was so uh refreshing i mean not only to see episcopalians and and other anglicans that normally would would be at odds with each other and and for our listeners who who probably know the history but you know acna anglican church north america broke away from the episcopal church over um uh it was mainly the same well no i think it was is uh gay ordination and same-sex marriage were or the, or the two, you know, the, the things that uh, split the, that the ACNA left over. And, um, and 
so not everyone left, not all Episcopalians um, who disagreed on those perhaps left for the ACNA, but a lot of them did. And so there's been some hard feelings. There's been some uh, bitterness. There were some uh, ugly fighting over buildings and lawsuits. Uh, and so it was all just, you know, a kind of a dark decade, really, of all that. But, you know, you... But so to see that clergy and lay people of both church bodies together at EFAC, not united really on a culture war front, because it's not like they were there about like, you know, the same sex as you know, they were there uh, because um, they as um, Episcopalians and Anglicans found the, see the true expression of our, of our faith, of our Anglican Christianity as being rooted in the uh, in our reformational heritage and the message of our reformational heritage, um, which is that we are saved by God's grace, um, not any type of work or good deed we could do on our own. Um, something that, that I think our contemporary contemporary world really needs to really needs to hear. Um, so going to going to this last conference. Um, I saw that Zach Hick gave a good talk. Um, I wanted to ask you a few things. I'm going to pull up the newsletter. It said on the bulletin, which gave us a little uh, summary, it said Zach Hicks, uh, who I've, I've not, not read his work, but he, I guess, was one of the main speakers. Um, he talked about the how the grammar of justification by faith um, is is really is really what the Book of Common Prayer is, which uh, that might come off as kind of odd for some Episcopalians and Anglicans who see the Book of Common Prayer as what we use and worship with, but um, but to see it through that angle that it's actually the grammar of justification by faith, and and that further that he uh, well I'll get into that. Get, tell us a little bit about Zach Hicks' talk um, on this. About uh, did, did you see his talk or did you listen to it? Oh, well, um, yeah, something you have to understand about um, uh, uh, these EFAC conferences, um, both the one in Nashville and the one in Dallas, is it's broken up into um, plenary sessions where, uh, you know, everyone in attendance is expected to attend that. And then it's broken up into breakout sessions where uh, every you know, you'll get to choose these various sessions. And so um, Zach did, Zach was the spotlight speaker and he did a, a few sessions. Um, and so of course I attended his, <laughs> his plenary sessions and they were, um, they were pretty good. And, you know, I've, uh, I've known uh, Zach for a long time because currently I'm at uh, Cathedral Church of the Advent. Um, you know, that's my, that's my parish. Um, my fiance has been, um, was confirmed there. Um, but, uh, bef back, uh, when I was going to college, I would sometimes come home and to, uh, uh, my parents' house and the advent was, uh, uh, close by, um, you know, it was in downtown Birmingham. So I would, uh, uh, I would go there and, um, uh, I would uh, often go to Zach's, whichever um, uh, service Zach was leading. He was the worship pastor at that time. 
Uh, he has since left the Advent and is now trying to plant, um, you know, uh, other churches in Birmingham. But yeah, he's uh, he uh, was already a in an author and a um, you know uh, and had a high profile by the time I read him. By the time I met him, um, you know, uh, and I I have not I have not read his his books. Um, but he's, um, he's, he's brilliant, I have to say, and he's, he's great. And he's a good, he's a good pastor too. He's very, uh, warm, open, you know, um, like, uh, and the first question I asked during, uh, session was he was, you know, he was talking about, uh, he's talking about Cranmer, you know, the, the whole session was on, uh, uh, Cranmer. Because that's the that's the focus of his work these days. Is writing. He now has his uh, doctorate, and he's his uh, academic focus is on Thomas Cranmer, the first Archbishop of Canterbury under the uh, English Reformation, and what he did with liturgy, what he did the Book of Common Prayer. And so I remember I, I asked him at the end of that. Um, so uh, you've been talking a lot about this Cranmer dude. Um, why should we care about it? And so, you know, he gave a uh, satisfactory answer to me, which was uh, uh, Cranmer was uh, Cranmer was more focused on the um, the liturgical revision than Luther or Calvin. And uh, this was a this was a bold bold statement, but I I don't take offense to it. Mm -hmm. um, he said he was a, a he did better. You know the the grammar thing. Um, that's very much about, um, you know, uh, historically, there has been this grammar that um, I guess I should say seems to nuance out the gospel or nuance out the me message of Christianity when it doesn't really need to be nuanced out in that way. So, you know, for instance, let me try to find an example here. Yeah. Um, um, here's an example. Um, figure 2.1, Cranmer's translation of the collect for Sunday next before Easter. So uh, this, um, so in, in Cranmer's revision, it's the Book of Common Prayer, 1549. Um, Almighty and everlasting God, which of thy tender love toward man has sent our Savior Jesus Christ, which of thy tender love towards man has sent, was added. Uh, the original version of that read, Almighty and everlasting God, and there's sort of a space there, says our Savior Jesus Christ. Um, but then uh, more to the point, towards the bottom, um, this collects is... Uh, uh, that all mankind should follow the example of his great humility, Merci mercifully grant that we both follow the example of his patience and be made partakers. And so what's crossed out here by Cranmer is may merit the partaking. Mm -hmm. So this is the difference between, um, this is the difference between it being up to the human will <laughs> and um, human merit, uh, the difference between it being up to uh, 
God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, recognizing um, or, you know, be declaring we do not merit it, but we're going to, it will happen, you mm -hmm. know? So this is, this is grace. This is also repentance, mm -hmm. um, you know? Uh, and so you, people um, sometimes accuse um, Protestantism of forming a, a new religion. And so the question then is, well, why would you, why, why would I want to follow something that's new? Christianity is supposed to be um, everlasting. You know, the fact is, um, you know, to put it in kind of a, a blunt way, there's this, you know, Protestantism recognized um, there was a lot of medieval crap that was covering up the gospel and they wanted to wipe that away. Right. You know, and so uh, liturgies, of course, do not, um, uh, they should be based on the Bible. They have been based on the Bible, but that doesn't mean that they, um, you know, they spring straight from the, the word of word of God. We've always had to write liturgies. And so um, Cranmer, uh, you know, what Zach was trying to show was the subtle ways that Cranmer tried to revise um, these liturgies uh, to make them closer to the Bible's message of the good news of God's uh, unconditional love and sovereignty. Right. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I was recently reading uh, Thomas Schreiner, who I'd love to get him on the podcast. He, he did kind of a historical survey of the doctrine of justification uh, looking at the Pauline text, looking at the early church, look, looking at Augustine, um, and, and so and so forth. And you know, it's not a clear-cut history, but um, you you do see kind of that what you called kind of medieval crap. I like that. It was kind of like that. It was almost like that, that was a gradual development over time. I mean, you get Augustine kind of uh, introduces the idea of infused grace. Um, not that people before him would have said uh, grace is not infused. Uh, they wouldn't have uh, tried. They, I guess they weren't even trying to tackle the whole issue of, of what exactly is the nature of grace, but they understood themselves. People like John Chrysostom and early people in the church um, saw themselves as uh, saved, uh, not by their merits, but by God, by, by Christ's work on the cross. And so it's kind of like you get this, and then, you know, Aquinas later on in the medieval church brings in Aristotelian elements, which do stress kind of like, um, you know, that we are, we are how we live, you know, basically, and I'm putting that in the crude way, but the, the habits, you know, um, and you, so it's like you have like kind of just this gradual development. Uh, and then the medieval church uh, system of penance. I mean, you just get this whole system that by the time that people like Cramner come along and Luther come along is so corrupt. I mean, even the Catholic church today, unless you're a super traditionalist who would deny this, um, would recognize it, it was just in a, the church was in a bad, bad shape. And um, what was, what was like you said, um, obscured was the uh simple message of god's you know 
unmediated grace. Well, mediated through Christ's work, but not mediated through uh, a church penance system that had uh, gone so unbiblical, you know, uh, by the time people like Cramner and Luther came along. And so, and I think we do tend to forget, I mean, so EFAC, Evangelical Fellowship, the Anglican Communion, it's, it's, a, it's a group of evangelical Episcopalians and evangelical Anglicans. And of course, my last episode, I broke down that word evangelical. It's kind of become a cultural word in our present discourse. It's seen as like a, almost like a voting block of the U.S., but it, the classical sense of evangelical uh, means, means good news. Um, evangelizing is giving the good news. The good news is that we are saved um, through God's extravagant love through the cross. Um, uh, through, through Christ's work and not our own. And so it's, um, you know, the, the Episcopalians and Anglicans who, like us, who see themselves, um, uh, who, who see that as the central message of Christianity, uh, because it is just so, it, it's, it seems to just, when I look, open a New Testament, and especially Paul's letters, but not even um, the book of Hebrews, um the book of first peter uh i mean all the new testament books <laughs> it's it's uh that message of grace is seems to be just the thrust of it you know um and so you know you and i were episcopal or we're we're evangelical uh evangelicals in the episcopal church um but as opposed to being a uh, anglo-catholics i guess in the in the Anglican or Episcopal churches. So you kind of have this um, um, sometimes division, but you kind of just have this distinction between these different emphases within our world. But um, one thing that I liked about EFAC, uh, the conference was that it brought together people um, who, who recognized what the central message of, of Christianity is, but also that it's like, you look at Cramner, a Cramner is the father of Anglican liturgy. He's the founder of Anglican liturgy. And so I feel sometimes his own, his very strong um, theology uh, formed in the 16th century um, out, of, out of the Reformation is, I, th I feel like that's obscured by um, Episcopalians and Anglicans who want to downplay our Reformational heritage. And, and I, I find that troubling and i've no i've complained about it here, here yeah <laughs> so go yeah, ahead i mean in his his first session um you know zach sort of referenced his own history of grappling with cranmer and uh what he had sort of realized is you know as as might be as is i'd say the case with other reformers and even you know church fathers uh Cranmer has sort of been used, and, you know, to say nothing of Bible verses, Cranmer has sort of been interpreted and uh, used by different sides in these, these um, Anglican debates, you know, since that, you know, Anglo-Catholic might say, well, uh, Cranmer was a true via media man or high churchman or, you know, uh, someone or, you know, of course, that's more low church people like no Cranmer was Cranmer was a, a, a basically just a, a John Calvin in England you mm -hmm. know 
<laughs> which is which is probably not really the case either in many ways. But um, you know, I guess Cranmer is, was a reformer in his own right, and you know, while his um, while his martyrdom. Uh, which is not really brought up at the conference because for the reason that it's not really that relevant. Um, his, his martyrdom, they paint a, a, a picture of him as uh, a, someone who is basically just a politician. You know, it's like he, it's like, well, sign here to save your own life, but then that doesn't save his own life. But, you know, it is, he, you know, he was a, uh, he was a complex man and, he was he really was um committed to the uh reformation enough to die for it you know people think uh anglicanism you know first time someone hears about anglicanism that started by henry the eighth (laughs) well technically but who is uh you know uh uh, who who is who was um helping him with that you know it was uh cranmer who you know, he um, he was uh, uh, sort of trying to convince these different kings. You know, um, the uh, the the uh, the gospel that you know Protestants are trying to tell you about. That's the that's the real deal. You know, that's what you want the uh, church to be about. And it was, you know, under under Henry VIII, we didn't yet have the um, the first uh, uh, prayer book. Um, that came about under in uh, uh, 1549, you know, but um, yeah, and I mean, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, under Edward VI. And of course, um, I would, you know, you can learn so much uh, from going to liturgy and going to the older liturgies and comparing, seeing, seeing what, you know, where the revisions are um, from 49 to 52 to, you know, so on. And, um, and it seems to me like, you know, I get, um, you know, until I became, and I want to ask you how, you know, what, what, what landed you in the evangelical or reformational camp of Anglicanism. But for me, um, I started to see the liturgy in a whole new light. Um, Once I was, once I, you know, found myself as a reformational Anglican, which was not like, you know, um, I wasn't like totally not that before. And I've talked about my own personal journey and other episodes and my Lutheran background and my rediscovery of like Luther's work and that helping me a great deal in my own faith. So I don't need to rehearsal. I don't need to go over all that again. But but yeah, once I, I, I would certain collects, I noticed certain lines in there that I'm like, wow, this is, you know, powerful. But it's, you know, um, I think it's it's uh, the Cramner, Cramner's colleague, and this was offered by Cramner. I don't remember what season it's read, but the colleague in the beginning of worship that you'll you'll probably hear it once a year. I, I can't tell you the day it's from, but it's uh goes something along the lines of oh, God, we have no power within ourselves to help ourselves, uh, keep us both inwardly and outwardly, yada yada yada. I don't have it in front of me, I don't know it by heart, but um I remember that uh that colleague struck me like this is uh reformational and i shouldn't say it's reformational i should say it's pauline i mean it's and it's gospel uh you know so it's 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 what the reformation was trying to recover um in the same way that 
Cramner was when he's writing his liturgy to to uncover the gospel and to have the language there for it. And I think um, if there's anything for me uh, that I would critique about later liturgical revisions like the 20th century um, was that they they didn't want to be as wordy. And you get that some some in the liturgic the liturgical renewal movement of the 20th century and 79 prayer book was kind of born out of some of those currents. They didn't want to be as wordy. And um, I don't know, I have some mixed feelings about that because uh, some of the beautiful Cramner, some of the language of Cramner is so beautiful, not because it's high and holy, like a lot of people, that's why a lot of people like older prayer books, but because it is the doctrine of justification and it is the good news and it is the saving good news that we broken uh, in our sickness need to hear, it's our medicine, you know. Um, that's why I, you know, that's why I love so much of Cramner's language and, and when it is retained in our, in our prayer book, uh, revisions. So, yeah, um, sounds like a good talk you had with, uh, so were there any other sessions, any of the, uh, what are some of the other sessions you had, was there any, was there any one that also stuck out that you liked a lot from your time there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, all of them really really kind of um, stuck. They were all great, you know. Um, I attended, um, so Glenn Scrivener is, yeah. he is an evangelist in um, the UK and he, ha he has a pretty high profile. And um, it last year's conference in Dallas, we did not get to meet him. Uh, he had to, even though he was the spotlight speaker, he had to, be with us um, through uh, a Zoom, and we still got or some sort of platform like that. And he was on a screen, and we got to ask him questions and inter interact with him, basically the the just as if he was actually there, but he wasn't there in person. And it was it was great meeting him because he's a um, he's a, he's confident confident yet humble, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, and he's he's great to talk to you know um he's just like doesn't doesn't really uh miss a beat you know has great answers to questions um you know uh i would say um last year i don't really recall him wearing a collar except this year in uh it, he was wearing a collar mm -hmm. so i don't know i guess that had a little bit to do with him <laughs> more comfortable just uh laying back in his own home or office wherever he was recording it whereas this time he was you know he was in a uh in uh, uh nashville in a, a city that's not his home and he was interacting with people in person but that doesn't you know i'm not giving him flack that was just an well, interesting choice on his part england's evangelicals i noticed don't wear the collar outside of like right liturgy <laughs> so different yeah yeah i yeah i currently go to a service where they usually don't do that and he said he said he goes he uh fellowships with the church where they don't wear the collar even though he says that's lower church than usual but anyway yeah um great author great guy but he uh he had a um session on evangelizing our worship and then you know, almost as soon as it started, he said, we should actually amend this to say, uh, I think he said something like liturgifying our evangelism. And 
So the point of the um, session was to sort of bridge the gap between liturgy, uh, which you know we might think of as something that us um, high church Protestants and Anglicans, you know, and Roman Catholics do, and evangelism, you know, or witness, which is something we might think of, you know, more low church and and uh, Baptist, uh, you know. Uh, American evangelical types doing. And, you know, but of course, uh, you know, uh, liturgy is, liturgy is great. Um, you know, uh, arguable, you know, depending on where you want to go with uh, uh, semantics there, you could say every church has liturgy anyway. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, it, it way, doesn't, it shouldn't stop you from doing evangelism, of course. Um, all, all Christians should be evangelists, you know, in some way or another. That doesn't mean you have to knock on doors. That doesn't mean you have to give a particular type of testimony. Um, but, you know, we should all, we should all want to, and we should all uh, 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 share the good news of uh, Jesus Christ in um, some way or another. And so he's sort of got to, um, he's sort of, uh, uh, showed us how um you know he wanted to be ecumenical and show that we can bridge that gap between you know say just baptists and anglicans um but also how uh you know if we do do um evangelism a particular way we can uh, we can change it to make it less less individualistic for one thing, you know, is in emphasizing the church more than the individual's journey. And of course, we are not saved by union with the church. We don't, the focus of evangelism, uh, well, evangelism itself is not about telling people why they should be in the church. It's, it's, a, it's about telling people about uh, the gospel that, that saves. And, you know, uh, hopefully people will, then wanted to join the church, but it's a better, you know, in America, we tend to, or I guess, you know, a lot of times in Protestants in the West in general, we tend to um, make it about our, our own journey. I mean, even I couldn't, couldn't really, uh, uh, you know, purge that for my own um, uh, uh, story, you know, and it can get kind of negative as in you, you, you throw people under the bus, you say, well, you know, I was in this one church and it wasn't so, so great. And I had this family and they, you know, they taught me about the gospel, but I didn't really understand the gospel. And now I understand the gospel, you know, and that, that sort of gives people the wrong impression. You know, it's sort of, um, you know, mostly if, if one, if one does believe that, um, you know, Jesus wanted to be uh, us to be in community this way. We want to send the, we want to send a, a positive message about families and um, churches, and we want to, and more than that, you know, the problem with making uh, our own, um, making our own uh, uh, journey the focus uh, distracts from you know, Jesus being the one who carried us forward, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, 
uh, is in, you know, was it, uh, was it really me making new intellectual ascents that, uh, uh, you know, showed me the light, as you said? Well, no, ultimately, it was the, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit sent by Jesus um, that did that. And then it changed, it changed my heart. It changed, you know, my behavior and the way I live in ways that I, I haven't even talked to, talked about. But, you know, it's, it's hard to, it, it's hard to even articulate, um, you know, the good stuff that was in that session. I do have notes, but I should say it was so good and so thought provoking that yeah. there was a whole half of that session that we didn't even get to because we were just asking so many questions, yeah. um, you know, um, you, there was a, you know, very briefly, there was a session on, um, there was a session on uh, so using the, um, using uh, technology and social media uh, uh, for liturgy and for evangelism. Um, and, you know, as a person who you can tell just by listening to me this whole time, I'm very active on social media, you know, the internet's a big part of my life. I, I appreciated that a lot. And I got to ask, you know, thought provoking questions about sort of the, uh, the ethics mm-hmm. of remaining on social media platforms um, and maybe even using, uh, you know, sort of this new advertising uh, to get the word out about your message or your church. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a, uh, the uh, president of the organization, uh, Zach, Zach Neubauer, um, you know, he had a session that, um, you know, this is, this is funny. I hope, I hope uh, Zach um, doesn't mind me telling this story. So at the same, so Zach was having this um, session on uh, metrical psalms. Uh, now, metrical psalms, I now understand that means setting the psalms to musical notes. Mm-hmm. Um, it turned out to be a great session. I'll explain what his session was about in a minute. But at the same time, um, one of the men who uh, worked on the new 1662 International Edition, edition it's a beautifully, you know, it's uh, Samuel Bray. Um, it's, a, it's a beautifully designed book. It's a, it's a great book. It's, it's his, historical, but also it's, it's practical because it's translated into our, you know, so, for use, liturgical use into our specific. So Go tell ahead. me about this, though. So this international edition of the 1662 prayer book, that's like the, that's the classic prayer book. We know it as kind of the classic prayer book. Um, but also it's it's still officially the prayer book of England, yeah. even though they've used different materials. But so is this one basically taking the classic from the probably the most classic prayer book, the 1662 one, and putting it into um, contemporary language without um, without getting rid of the language, but modifying it? Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, it's funny. Uh, the first prayer book I actually bought is a a, writ, a literary edition of the original 1662. And so if you're a, a American living in the current time, there's a couple problems with it. One being, um, you know, uh, 
there's no real reason to do a, a prayer for the queen as opposed to a prayer for any other head of state mm-hmm. um, because we're not, uh, we not ruled by the queen in any way. Um, and, you know, but there are prayers for the queen in the main, um, in the main uh, uh, morning prayer liturgy. And the other problem is, yeah, some of the, some of the um, language is just kind of too outdated. So the uh, International 1662 takes care of both of those problems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and it's, so for the, the state prayers, there's a couple of different options. There's one that's uh, more familiar to uh, people who do Anglican liturgies in, um, you know, uh, ACNA or Episcopal churches right now, which is out of like, you know, the 1979 or I think the, the, uh, 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 the 2019 probably is where you, you pray for, you name your specific, um, you name the, the specific uh, 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 office holders in that jurisdiction, you might say, you know, um, our, uh, in Alabama, you might say our governor K, uh, our President Joe, our Vice President Kamala, you know, and so th- it allows that option, and then it has a, um, it has a, uh, uh, a pretty cool, you know, general prayer where you, it's like any collect. You don't have to insert anyone's name there. You just pray for uh, government throughout the land, and so yeah, yeah, I'd say. The, the original 1662 didn't have that many problems, but the ones, you know, for us in our context, but the ones it did have, the international 1662 uh, takes care of it, you know, and it's, 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 you know, I'm, I'm a very visual person. Um, I like colors, you know, I'd say it's almost worth it just for the design, oh, you know, yeah. sort of gold and green. The, the aesthetic. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I want to kind of going back to your talk about Glenn Shrivener, um, I would have been interested in hearing that talk because it sounds like, you know, I, I too get concerned about um, kind of de-churchifying evangelism. I, I've seen it in kind of uh, in certain like certain evangelistic settings and maybe some certain, I don't want to say non-church, but like parachurch, you know, you know, uh, how do I, what do you call those? I guess extra, you know, extra church, you know, extra type of ministries that are outside of like the church institution that are nevertheless um, doing some serious and good evangelism for the most part. Yeah. A lot I mean, of them I give, we, a lot I of think them we sometimes for, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say a lot of them, they, they may not mean to, but they often give out this message that Jesus is cool and your church isn't. And you'll even hear that from people that in these settings that share their testimonies, like kind of what you were saying, you know, I was raised in the church, Christian home, but I didn't know Jesus. I just knew about him and all the stuff. And, and that, that may or may not be uh, completely true. I, I know that it's like when we're young, we, you know, are, we tend to be more, you know, we're, we're still learning the world. We're more ignorant or sometimes arrogant um, before we grow. And so it's like, I, I do think, yeah, like you said, we, we kind of throw, church churches under the bus as if they did um as if they you know turn people off from religion i don't really think churches um do bad things as much as you know a popular perception of them may be it's just that you know um well there's all kinds of reasons but it's like if you're only spending one hour a week and it's like it's 
you know, it's, 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 you know, it's like people are, um, but yeah, I just think people are, are, can be very uncharitable toward, toward church. Um, but, but, and that misses the point that Jesus calls us to be, calls us to be in community. Um, and importantly, he calls us, right? He, uh, he's the one who has brought us to where we are. Like you said, uh, it wasn't, I think you said like, um, it wasn't like our decision or our assent to something, to the truth. It was, it was the work of the Holy spirit. And, um, for our listeners sneak, sneak preview, uh, James and I are doing an episode on decision theology, uh, in a couple of weeks, which is, which you find in uh, a lot of, uh, well, a lot, a lot of, uh, more, a lot of contemporary Protestantism, um, especially in America. Um, the idea that we, you know, we, we decide on, we make our decision for Jesus when it's actually the other way around. He's made our his decision for us when he died on the cross. <laughs> so, uh, but I won't speak anymore on that. That's for our listeners for in a couple of weeks for doing that. So uh, look forward to doing that. But um, so, but yeah, thanks for um, sharing. Was, was there something you were going to add? I cut you off there, Jacob, about, um, I think you were talking on the, is either the 1662 or something after that you said something. Yeah. So I was going to tell this, um, this story that I think it's, um, so something, so the, uh, the Samuel Bray who, and was, he's involved with the 1662. Um, he had a session at the same time that Zach Neubauer had a session uh, scheduled to talk about uh, the songs, psalms, metrical yep. yeah. psalms. And so, uh, you know, Zach sort of anticipated that um, there, Samuel Bray's session would uh, be uh, much more popular. Um, you know, I decided to go because go to Zach's session because I already knew, I knew a lot more about uh 1660 the 1662 international edition that i do about metrical psalms and so it seems like seemed like an interesting idea so uh you know um so Brittany and i and um uh you know Brittany being my fiance she came with me uh uh glenn scrivener and i think uh one other person were there um, alone, but we had a uh, we had a good good time, and uh, I I enjoyed that session. And mm -hmm. so, um, so what I learned was what metrical psalms are, which is that they are, um, you know, like I said, they're psalms set to a uh, musical instrument to musical notes, um, and uh, you know, Zach sort of talked about these um these uh sort of experiments he had done with setting in particular setting um the uh psalms to uh him the tunes of hymns that are in the uh 1982 hymnal um which is the uh current hymnal of uh the episcopal church and so you know this of course like there are a lot of people um you know, like I didn't grow up in the church, so I'm I'm pretty behind on my. I don't know hymns that well, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm I'm sort of I'm more of a minority, I think, as far as people in the church. So, uh, you know, a, a lot of there's a lot of people out there who know hymns, but they don't know songs. And whereas the problem with that is the psalms are the word of God. The hymns typically aren't the hymns, you know, through some data at us, uh, most hymns that we sing in church are from within the last 500 years. Um, and, but many of them are from within the last 150 years. Mm-hmm. And, but if you can find a tune that matches, um, you know, so these Psalms, that's a good way to uh, try and uh, remember the Psalms. And so I remember later at the, uh, the last session, the last plenary session we had, um, you know, with, uh, uh, which was, uh, by Zach Hicks, he was, I think, mentioning um, the Confession of Faith, uh, you know, which is a, a, a really good part of the, the, um, the uh, uh, liturgy um, that has been retained by, by Cranmer and the, uh, uh, those who succeeded him. Um, you know, he was mentioning, uh, you know, you could set this to, uh, to music. Um, and then, you know, uh, I can't remember where that was, what it was, but uh, Zach, uh, Zach Neubauer, you know, raised his hand. Yes. Um, do you have a particular, um, do you have a, you know, of a particular uh, uh, hymn tune you could set it to? You know, I think Zach Hicks said something like, uh, uh, probably, probably anything with the word blood in it would be good. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, yeah. Um, that was, uh, you know, um, they, everyone had their own reason for picking um, the Samuel Bray session or the uh, metrical psalm session. But, um, you know, uh, I think it was, uh, I think it all worked out in, in the end. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, of course, I would recommend to anyone listening, buy an international 1662 um, and look into uh, this uh metrical psalms thing which uh i should i should do that myself yeah there Um, there was a session at the last the 2021 one i went to it was like the lesser well i don't want to put it that way because that sounds mean but it it was it was uh at the same time as as a really appealing one that would naturally a lot of people would want to go to understandably but i ended up going to the smaller one and it was something on bible literacy and i'm so thankful so i mean sometimes you know you just got to follow that curiosity when you're at these things and they have all these different options sometimes you got to follow the uh the curiosity more than um this curiosity of something a little you know i don't want to say unknown but just like uh oh i could maybe benefit from hearing more of this rather than going to the thing that you know you would just love and then because you end up you realize you end up loving the one you went to so it's um yeah i look forward to going to um the next one, uh, is there another, when is, did they say when the next one will be? Yeah, so they, um, I can't remember whether they had a date. Uh, they thought they had a uh, location, but that um, fell through. I can't wait to find out what the next one is because, you know, I've, I've been to, uh, I went to Dallas for, I think, the first time. And then I went to, um, I had a great time in Nashville. Of course, Brittany had never been to Nashville before. Yeah. Um, you know, we had some, uh, we had, uh, we had some, uh, uh, good times in the, 
bars and restaurants in our downtime. Yeah, the, early. The, but, you know, it's, scene, uh, the music scene and the food scene. I would just love oh, to go there, but I, uh, I'll get there one day. I've driven through several times, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, thanks yeah. for being on the show. Um, we look forward to yeah. uh, look forward to uh, hearing more from you in the future, and 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 stay in touch. And uh, I look forward to seeing you. Yeah, episode. thanks for thanks for having me. And I'll say um once again uh on Apple Podcasts and uh Spotify, uh you uh look up Mead and Murder, M-E-A-D is in the drink and murder. Um and on uh Facebook, uh same thing. Uh go like us if you will. Uh really appreciate this. I I I I enjoyed this. God bless you. God bless you, Jacob. Take care.